care what the scoreboard says, at the end of the game, in my book, we're going to be winners. From the small town dream team in Hoosiers. After high school, I'm going to play football at Notre Dame. To the unforgettable underdog story behind Rudy. For Indiana screenwriter and producer Angelo Pizzo, it's never about the wins and losses. It's all about the characters. And when he's not scoring big time with Indiana-based sports films, Pizzo is all in on IU basketball. Smart takes the shot. And the Hoosiers with three seconds. Go ahead. And we mean all in. The connection between IU's 1987 national championship, Hollywood's biggest night, and talented storyteller Angelo Pizzo, who has yet another Indiana-based sports film up his sleeve. He's my guest this week on the Business and Beyond podcast. Hello and welcome to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. I'm Gary Dick. Angelo Pizzo was born in Chicago. His dad, a doctor whose first job out of medical school was in Bloomington. That's where Pizzo grew up. And Indiana University, it was his playground. He rebounded during practices for IU legends like Jimmy Rail and Walt Bellamy back in the day. He's been a season ticket holder for years. So passionate about IU basketball that he skipped the 1987 Academy Awards to watch the Hoosiers win the NCAA title. Angelo has also been a big force behind Indiana's new media and film tax credit designed to attract more media production in Indiana. He's also working on several new projects, including a film about the first Indianapolis 500. And I'm very pleased to be joined by screenwriter, producer, Angelo Pizzo uh, from Bloomington. Angelo, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. What have you been up to uh, these days? You know, uh, obviously a lot going on, the pandemic, uh, which obviously or hopefully we're on the, the the backside or the downside of that has affected all industries. But I, I think you you kept pretty busy uh, over the last couple of years. What have you been up to? Well, the thing about being a writer, that part of my my repertoire, so to speak, it didn't matter. Uh, there was a lot of development going on during the pandemic. So I wrote three or four different scripts uh, and I could keep busy in that regard. Uh, one of the scripts that I wrote uh, did get financed and we are trying to cast it now. In fact, um, after I talk to you, I'm gonna do two uh, Zoom auditions with uh, two actresses uh, this afternoon. And uh, once we cast that, we will either go into production this fall or we will go into production in the spring. So we're kind of in a very tight window, whether we can make it weather-wise, because we, we plan to shoot this in either Indiana or Kentucky. And uh, in Indiana, depending on, it's, depending on the tax credit, and they're working on that now, uh, yeah. my producers, that is. Hey, I want to ask you about the tax credit because you've been a really passionate supporter of that for for some time now. But can you tell us anything about the the project and the film and what what it's about? Sure. Yeah, it's a it's a change of pace for me uh, in so far that it's not about sports. In fact, it's a coming of age romance uh, set against the uh, Civil War, hmm. and um, the uh, the coming of age 
character, the protagonist uh, that I focus on, it's a true story, is a female. So I haven't written wow. female leads uh, in the past either, but it, it's, a, it's a terrific story. Uh, it was presented to me and uh, it really uh, excited me and uh, I'm all pumped up and ready to go. It'll be about an eight, eight, eight and a half million dollar movie. Wow, that's a, so a, a female, a woman a soldier? Well, she inadvertently becomes one. She doesn't set out at the beginning. It's, it's quite a journey uh, this uh, young woman goes through. I, I'll just give you the setup. Uh, in, in fact, um, boy and girl fall in love. The boy signs up to go fight for the union. This uh, originally takes place in Northern Illinois. And um, the letters are, go back and forth until the letters stop coming from the battlefront. And uh, she gets panicked. And after not hearing from him for a couple of months, cuts her hair off, uh, dresses as a boy and enlists in his regiment and uh, is uh, sent down. And she looks, starts to look for him. And that's, that's the beginning of the story. Wow. So, that, that, that is intriguing. Very, very good. You mentioned sports and obviously... Uh, Hoosiers and Rudy, uh, such iconic sports films. There's another film, right, that you've, I know you've been working on. It, it, give us the update on uh, the, the film, the project you do on the first Indianapolis 500. And I know it's really a, a lot about Carl Fisher, that, uh, that amazing automotive entrepreneur. It is about Carl Fisher um, because he was the genius behind it. He was such a larger than life character. And I was drawn to the story not just because it was an origin story, but because of his uh, larger-than-life personality. And um, he, Carl Fisher also invented Miami Beach and Montauk as well yep. and created the Lincoln Highway. He was a genius, um, but a flawed man, uh, like a lot of geniuses are, and uh, that make, makes for an interesting character. I wrote this script about uh, 12 years ago, and we tried to get it going at that time, but it was the costs were prohibitive um, because recreating the brickyard back then, uh, recreating those old cars, et cetera, et cetera, was just too expensive. Now, with uh, the, the lowering of cost of CGI computer graphics, it, it has become much more feasible. We can do so much of what the original track looked like in the, in the computer. So, and um, the, the producer director of this film, uh, Justin Eskew, uh, found somebody uh, in, um, I believe it's Nashville, who is a fabricator and who can recreate, actually not, not through a computer, but in actuality, the original cars. So now it has become much more practical in, in, in a lot of different ways. So there's renewed energy and interest, and um, the, the, the project has a lot of viability. Now what it needs is just a few more dollars uh, in investment, and uh, we can get this thing made. Yeah, I think I heard you or read uh, some quotes from you talking about creating sports films like uh, Hoosiers or Rudy, uh, the first Indy 500, that needs to be about more than kind of the scores, the defeats or the victories on the field, but about people, the human element. That a correct assessment? Uh, that is. Um, uh, and, and this is something that I learned when um, I looked at uh, as many sports films as I could before I wrote Hoosiers, that the, the movies that matter, the movies that you care about emotionally are those where you connect to the characters. It's never about the sports. It's never about who wins and loses. And, and if you look back at Hoosiers, for example, 
uh, it was important for me, uh, for, for the audience, to care for these people. Not so much that the outcome is, is that critical. It's a nice kind of icing on the cake, but it's not what the movie is about. And uh, I will give you an example of, of what I consider a, a success in, in, with Rudy, for example. We were at the premiere of, um, of Rudy in Los Angeles. We had multiple premieres, including one in South Bend. And uh, a woman came up to me who was the wife of somebody who had worked at TriStar, the company, the studio that made our film. And she said, you know, my husband dragged me to this movie. I had no interest in watching a movie about football. I don't like football. I don't like sports. And I lived in Chicago and I couldn't stand anybody who went to Notre Dame. So there were like <laughs> three strikes against you and there's no way. And he kept on, he said, you have to see this movie. And he said, I cried for three or four minutes after the film was in. And I said, it got me deep and it made me think about how I had put my own dreams of my own career on the shelf. And maybe I, I was kind of reassessing uh, what I had done and maybe what I can do in the future. And it gave me some, some inspiration and some hope. And I remember putting my arms around her and said, I made this movie for you. <laughs> in yeah. fact, that, is, that was the idea that I, you don't make it for the sports person. You make it for the person who doesn't like sports. It should affect them in the same way that a, for, a sports aficionado should, could, should react to the film. Did, did that emotional connection that, that was created by, by Rudy, by Hoosiers, not only with, with folks in Indiana, but around, literally around the globe, did, did that surprise you at all as to the impact that those movies over time have had? It, it shocked me. Honestly, uh, I think when you're, when you're making a movie, especially uh, going back to Hoosiers, which was my first film uh, and, my, and my first uh, screenplay, you, you, you're working in a kind of creative bubble and you really don't have any sense of objectivity. You can't stand outside of it and think, oh, people will like this or like that. You, there's just no way of knowing. There's a lot of kind of a wing in the prayer when you're making any movie and, and you just never know until you get in front of an audience that has no vested interest. And I mean, we screened Hoosiers for our friends, family, and studio people, and they all seemed to like it, but that really didn't matter until we got that in front of a audience in Irvine, California, mm. who uh, knew nothing about the movie. And that response gave us our first clue that maybe we had something. But the biggest surprise, honestly, is not just that they they respond that audiences responded well at that time, but that the fact that those two films have sustained in the way they mm. have over the years, yeah. actually that's been kind of a shocker. I, I I can't tell you that anybody can ever anticipate something like that. Yeah, yeah. Film production, media production in Indiana. You you touched on it earlier. Uh, certainly Hoosiers uh, was filmed back in the mid 80s in multiple communities uh, in Indiana. Rudy, I think, was in South Bend and Whiting in different different locations. The Indiana legislature has okayed a film and, and media production credit of, uh, I think, up to 30 percent. You are a, a staunch supporter and uh, an advocate for that. Now that it's happened, your reaction, what what in your view does this or can this mean for Indiana? Well, uh, again, what what uh, going back to the time in which we 
made those films, there were only, I think, three or four states that um, gave tax credits. Mm -hmm. Louisiana was the first. I think New Mexico followed. And we really have no choice. And and that's where we, we had to shoot those movies here. But honestly, and this is the thing that that really I tried to, I mean, I've been working on this this project uh, of this this law, tax credit law for uh, up 17 years. Wow. And, and uh, have testified in front of the Ways and Meads Committee uh, three or four times during that time. Uh, we've, we've had uh, probably three or four different runs at, at trying to make it work. I will say parenthetically here that um, the, the, the difference this time as opposed to the other times are twofold. One is the point I wanted to make, which is that after um, the Georgia example uh, opened people's eyes as to the economic impact on the state, um, the Georgia now has oh, close to not eight or nine billion dollars uh, money spent there every mm -hmm. year. And uh, right now they have 130 some projects being and all the mar uh, being shot there and all the Marvel stuff is shot. And the, the way in which that has exploded there has given um, other states um, the idea to do the same thing. So surrounding us, like Illinois and Ohio and Kentucky, they all have 30% tax credits. And obviously, if it was not working, they wouldn't keep on renewing them. And so I think that the fact that we now have, there are now 38 states that have tax credits, and we are finally lagging in that regard. And the fact that we have our surrounding states have these good tax credits. And I think there were 10 movies shot in Ohio last year, feature films. And I, I think that we also um, were able to convince enough legislators that the, the economic impact would be really positive for our state. And that, that has to do with not just, um, just the money spent at the time. It's, it's uh, restaurants, it's, it's hotels, it's uh, equipment, it's real estate, studios being built. Uh, the number of, I think there may be more studios in Atlanta than there are in Los Angeles right now. Wow. That, that's yeah. how big it is there. The, the second part was we, we finally got a champion in the legislator that was, I call him my, my Rudy. He would not take no for an answer. And that, that's Representative Bob Morris. He, he was the guy who just, anytime there was resistance, he just kept pounding and pounding until yeah. they relented. So, uh, you know, we needed that champion. We'd never had that before. And, and he was critical and key in getting, getting this thing passed. Yeah. And I know, and you mentioned this uh, uh, on the television show uh, recently, uh, you really think Indiana has some natural assets and can be kind of a cool place, cool setting uh, for film and media production. I do. In fact, one of the advantages that Indiana does have now with the tax credit is they have a lot of locations that never been seen before, what I call virgin territory. And, uh, and, and there, the diversity is it runs from the, the steel mills of uh, in Northeast Indiana, where, where we shot part of Rudy, um, the, the beautiful sand dunes of, uh, the, of, of, of Northern Indiana and uh, Dunes National Park. And, and of course, uh, you know, Southern Indiana, the uplands, you know, Brown County and, and the areas around uh, the river towns of, of Jeffersonville and Evansville. Mm -hmm. And, 
Yeah, there's there's such a broad diversity of uh, topography and microclimates um, that are that are possibilities for shooting. Much more ahead with uh, Angelo Pizzo, including uh, his early years, moved to Bloomington and his love for Indiana University and in particular IU Athletics. That's when the Business and Beyond podcast continues. Welcome back to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. My guest this week is a noted screenwriter and producer, Angelo Pizzo. And uh, uh, Angelo, I would consider you a Hoosier. You actually weren't born here, though. You spent a few, very few early years in uh, where, suburban Chicago. Yeah, that's pretty good research there, Gary. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I spent, a, I spent a, a, about two years. I was born in Chicago. My dad was a... Uh, was a, a it went to uh, the University of Chicago Medical School, mm. and um, I, I was born there. Uh, and he was doing an internship at Northwestern, so uh, we lived in Wilmette for two years. Then his first job out of medical school was in Bloomington, and where I moved, uh, where we moved in uh, 1951, and it was on the corner of Seventh and Jordan, uh, which is now part of the campus. But at that time, that house was literally one block from Memorial Stadium, football stadium, and two blocks oh, wow. from the old field house. So my love of Indiana sports started very, very early. I would I would walk over there to the and watch the practice when I was four and five years old. And oh, wow. you know, in those days, you could do things like that, and then yeah. uh, parents would not, you know, go nuts and freak yeah. out. So I, I became kind of a little mascot for the IU basketball team <laughs> in my, my early, uh, early years. Yeah. Uh, so literally, IU was your, the campus was your playground in a sense, right? It, it really was. Uh, and I mean, I knew every inch of that campus and, and we rode our bikes and, and we, we just had a, a great, it was such a beautiful, I mean, such a beautiful campus, and, but it's all we knew at the time. And it, yeah. was, it was just a lot of fun. What do you remember? Uh, you mentioned going over to practice. I'm sure you've, you've got some fond memories, even though it was a long time ago, uh, of, those, uh, of those interactions with players and, and, and that kind of thing. As you, as you say, a different time when you could really get up close and personal, I assume. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you a couple of stories, and one one in particular has to do with Hoosiers, which was that uh, I used to go. The only time I would kind of participate in in um, in the practice was I would rebound when they were doing their free throw shooting. I would rebound for some of the players, and I recall uh, a couple of moments. One was how nice one of the captains of the team was at that time, and his name was Gary Long. And Gary was a Big Ten Player of the Year. And uh, by strange coincidence, we happened to hire his son, Brad, to play one of the characters, Buddy, in the movie Hoosiers. Oh, oh my and gosh. So, yeah. And, and, that, and, and Gary came to the set um, all, uh, so many times. And we reminisced about those back years. Of course, he didn't remember me. But yeah. um I, I just appreciated how nice a guy he was back in the fifties, and 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 he's certainly the same guy. And we actually put him in as one of the coaches uh, in the movie. <laughs> really, too. and um, 
Yeah, and and another thing is uh, on on one of my heroes at that time was Jimmy Rail, mm-hmm. and and we hired Jimmy's son to play uh, on one of the opposing teams, and uh, and Jimmy would come uh, to to watch a shoot his dad that is and uh, uh, and we would have uh, a shooting contest. And of course, even in his forties, he was he beat everybody, so <laughs> he never lost a touch. The second memory I have was uh, Walt Bellamy. Walt Bellamy was six feet eight, an All-American, uh, also an extremely nice guy. I remember uh, he was like the hero, and he didn't say very much, very quiet guy. And um, and uh, and I would love to rebound for him more than anybody else, uh, just because he actually asked for me a couple of times. And I ran into him at the union building. And, uh, you know, for a guy who was like seven or eight years old at the time, um, looking up at Walt, a guy who's six feet nine was uh, like, uh, it seemed like he was like lived in the clouds. <laughs> and I remember making, I ran into him at the union building and um, making some comment about how, what it looked like, you know, from his vantage point, the world. He said, I'll show you. And he picked me up and he put me on his shoulders <laughs> and it seemed like I was 20 feet off the ground. So those are my Indiana University memories. Oh, those are good. Those are good. And obviously you're a very passionate fan. I think you're a season ticket holder, right? You go to go to. Ever since I got back in Bloomington, I've not missed a game if, unless, you know, something drastic would have to happen for me. Yeah. Again. What, uh, what are your thoughts? A lot of excitement around the program with, uh, with coach Woodson in there now, uh, it had been some challenging years, uh, you know, a few years back. How, how do you feel about the program right now? Well, I don't think there's any question that the, 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 in terms of pure talent, this is the deepest team that, that we've had um, since the night era. An argument could be made uh, for the, um, the, the, the years where uh, Cody and uh, Victor and, and Jordy Halls uh, and, and that group but I, I think that that team was in the second five was not as deep as this team. And um, we may not have two first round draft choices on the team, but um, we can withstand injury. And, and I think that what is not what we don't know is the chemistry because we've got a lot of new players, a lot of you know, younger players and how they gel. Um, is, uh, I, I mean, I think Coach Woodson was the right guy at the right time. And he's done it. He and his staff have done a tremendous job at bringing uh, players in and, and kind of reviving our program. And uh, the excitement is, is greater now than uh, I think other than the 2013 uh, team when we were rated number one in the country. Everybody I talk to just can't wait for basketball season. Yeah. You mentioned Coach Knight and certainly his tenure was such a, uh, an amazing time uh, for IU basketball that touched a lot of folks. Who are IU fans and, and, and otherwise? What are your remembrances of the night era in terms of uh, obviously the success, but just the vibe and the excitement around uh, around campus and around IU basketball? Well, the thing that was as far as the, <clears throat> the night era uh, for me is that I didn't really get to um, interact with and participate in in those times that much because I was living in Los Angeles. In California, yeah. I was. Um, I came back, I flew back for the 1976 um, uh, championship, but I I flew back to Bloomington. I I didn't go to the game. 
But in 1981, I did go to Philadelphia. And, 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 and not only did I go to the Philadelphia and watch them win that, but I hitched a ride with the team plane back to Bloomington. Did you and really? I, and I, yes, I did. Well, the, the, it was the second plane. It wasn't with the players, but they had a second plane. And that was because uh, the, the team doctor, uh, Brad Bomba, and my dad were really close friends. And, uh, and I was trying to get back, figure out a way to get back to Bloomington. I went to a party afterwards and saw him. He said, just come with us. So... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Uh, nothing like uh, uh, what a campus is like after uh, a national championship win. It, it was just, uh, I think, I think people partied for a week after that. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, in 1987, that was the night where the Academy Awards uh, were, were, were held. And we were nominated in Hoosiers for two Academy Awards. So this is a, a, a story I've told many times before, but this is a, it indicates how much how much passion I have for Indiana. Um, we had tickets. Um, we were prepared to go. It was Jerry Goldsmith, the composer, and, and um, Dennis Hopper uh, for Best Supporting Actor. And I didn't really expect Indiana to win the afternoon game on, on Saturday against UNLV. UNLV was favored. Uh, but they did, and they, they were playing Syracuse on this at the exact same time as the Academy Awards were being held, and and I was just I drove it drove me crazy, and I I I woke up. I remember waking up on Monday morning, and I called David Anspaugh, the director of the film. I said, I can't go. I have to watch this game, <laughs> and uh, so he agreed, and he stayed, uh, and we gave our tickets away, and uh, we stayed home, and we watched uh, we watched Indiana win. Uh, on Keith Smart's last second shot, yeah. and uh, I, I don't regret not going to the Academy Awards at all. Uh, yeah. So that that is a great story. And you, you and Coach Knight, good relationship. You you talked over the years, very good, very yeah. good. In fact, it was because of that night uh, in the paper the next day, uh, the their Herald Times, Bloomington Herald Times, had um, you know the banner headline: Indiana wins national championship. But uh, on the lower part of the page, uh, there was a headline, Hoosiers creators stay home to watch the game rather than go to the <laughs> ceremony. And uh, he made a comment uh, to uh, Joby Wright, who was assistant coach, who was a friend of both David's and mine in college. He said, now those are some serious Hoosier fans. Next time they're in town, uh, have them come by practice. And he had not seen the film at that time. And he subsequently saw it afterwards that we found out, but um, he, we, uh, Joby never told us what he thought about it. So in, in October, when I uh, came back um, for an event, I, I stopped by uh, practice and, and I was in the stands. He kept on glowering, kept on giving me really nasty stares looking up in the stands. And I thought, what did I do? He must have hated the movie. And uh, and and so at the end of the practice, I just felt that the vibes were all wrong and uh, that he didn't like the movie because secretly I had not told people about this, but I sort of based the character of Coach Dale on 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 him, his personality really? and everything I knew about it. But that was from afar. And um, and so uh, as I was leaving, uh, one of the uh, graduate assistants came up and grabbed me, and said, Coach needs to see you. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm in trouble. And I walked down and he was talking to some guy. His arms were folded and kept on looking over at me like he wanted to punch me out. And I was uh, um, uh, he finally left and finally turned around and he held his hand out. And I thought he was holding his hand out to shake it. 
And so I reached out to shake his hand and he nodded his head. He wasn't going to shake my hand, but his hands was flat. I said, what, what? I don't understand. He said, uh, you owe me some money. I said, what? He said, all of that dialogue is my dialogue. And, uh, <laughs> and then he had a big smile and he put his arm around me. He said, I love the movie. It was fantastic. Oh. Thank you. So then he said, what are you doing now? And I said, I'm going home to have dinner with my parents. And he said, no, you're not. You're coming with me. We're flying up to Chicago to see a recruit. So I, for the next 10 hours, I was, it was me and Coach Knight talking. Uh, and it was one of the most fascinating 10 hours of my entire life. And I will tell you, during that time, we never talked about basketball once. And really? the thing that was fascinating about Coach Knight is it's, it, he had an, um, an attribute which I value very highly, and that's curiosity. Um, a lot of people thought of him as just a pontificator and a guy who just knows everything about everything and wants to tell you how much he knows. That's not wasn't the case. He probably asked me, he asked me hundreds of questions. So how did you do this? How did you do that? How did you get into mm -hmm. this? How did you figure this out? You know, so about the movie making process. Yeah. And uh, in the course, we also found out we had a shared uh, love of, of history. And I'm a huge history buff, and as as is he, and he's a military history buff. So, I think we we spent the the flight back talking about the Russian Revolution. Anytime I bring really? up basketball, he would just flick it away. No, no interest yeah. in talking basketball. Yeah. He loved talking baseball. That was his. That was oh. actually his favorite sport, is what he told mm -hmm. me. Yeah. yeah. So it was. Uh, that was the beginning of a, an interesting friendship. That had some ups and downs, like a lot of relationships with Coach Knight. Yeah. But uh, no, it was he's a, he's a fascinating man, fascinating man. Yeah, did did the way that ended, and of course there was the return to Assembly Hall, which was a special moment for a lot of people. Uh, but did the way it ended at the time? Did it was that hurtful for, for you as an IU fan, or what were your what were your emotions? Well, I had mixed emotions because I mean I had great fealty and 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 care for Coach Knight. But at the same time, it, it, things were getting a little chippy at, at the university. And uh, not that I condoned the way in which it happened, but I think, uh, I think there was a collision course and it, with there's certain inevitability. Um, and and, and, and that, sad to say that Coach Knight at the, the latter stages, forget about the, the incidents that, that triggered the firing, but there was grumbling about the fact that he had kind of lost his touch and, and, and it really came down to recruiting. He, he just stopped, you know, in the summer, rather than go to these, you know, hot and sweaty gyms and watch recruits, he, wanted, he wants to go fishing and take time off. And uh, he had his uh, assistants uh, do the heavy lifting. And, and you know, it, it just didn't, you know, when, when you have guys like Coach K and, Calipari and Bill Self out there, you know, in the gyms. And it, it, he just wasn't as effective, uh, you know, a recruiter. And the game had changed in that way. Recruiting yeah. had changed. So mm -hmm. I think it was the fact if he was if he had previously won national championship, he could have punched everybody on the campus. <laughs> and he still would have had, had those jobs. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Hey, one more question on sports. Since you're a sports fan, it just came to came to mind your passion about college sports in particular i i am as well what do you what's your take on the the current state of of college sports with respect to 
name, image, likeness in the portal and, and, you know, players literally, you know, being able to get paid now legally. Um, Some suggest this is the the beginning of the end for college sports. I that may be a little extreme, but what's your take on, uh, on all that? Well, I'm not, I'm not crazy about it. Um, I, I, it's, I understand that um, players should be rewarded. I think that uh, um, it, it, there, there, inevitably it had to happen, um, and 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 I'm glad for the players that it happened. But uh, it, 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 it's right, not right now the Wild West. It, it's not regulated, so it will come down to it seems like bidding wars for all the top players. And um, it's like free agency with no control, with no salary caps, for example. You know, at least the pros have salary caps and they have an organization, organizations that can uh, control and regulate um, this kind of spending. Uh, right now, um, what was below the table uh, is now on top of the table and the rich will keep on getting richer. And um, the, the mid-tier teams are just going to fall by the wayside. And um it's, I mean, it's, it's a struggle. I talked to somebody in, in, um, on the IU football team saying just to keep up with some of the other Big Ten schools, they're going to need two to $3 million next year because wow. they've already lost um, a number of players to other schools that are paying in terms of recruiting this summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I don't think people are aware that that's going on as much as it is. And that um, that players uh, who are going recruiting trips, they're they're really they really want to assess how, how much uh, are you going to pay me to come here. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the past, that 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 happened. It was again, it was sub rosa. Nobody really talked about it because right. it was illegal. But now that it is legal, it, it's all out there. And, and you know, it's it's uh, for Indiana to succeed they're going to have to get big donors to contribute a lot of money. And in, in, in basketball, it's really going to gonna come into play. I mean, we're yeah, talking about yeah. millions. Uh, I think Coach Cal had, had a quote to one of his assistant coaches that he said, I, uh, Calipari of Kentucky, that mm-hmm. is, he said, I want to be able to guarantee any recruit that I'm bringing in at least $1 million. Wow. So, uh, and we're talking about, you know, 13 scholarship players. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's the wild west and uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't like it and I don't like where it's going. And as I said, um, you know, a play, a teams like Ohio state already were getting the five-star kids, but now it's guaranteed because they've got such a passionate following. They had a backup quarterback last year, Quinn Ewers, who transferred to Texas mm-hmm. He made $2 million without taking a snap. And um, the, the word is, this is not, not uh, in public, um, but Arch Manning was the number one quarterback in the country this year and obviously could have gone anywhere and was recruited big time by everybody. And it really turned out to be a bidding war. I, I heard he's making $5 million to go to Texas. And that's where Quinn Ewers is right now. Yeah, so teams right. Teams like Texas are going to uh, Quinn. Teams like Texas are just going to you know outbid everybody, mm-hmm. and uh, you know they they got uh, Texas A and M put together a, um, a a pool of of thirty thirty three million dollars to bring a team in. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's insane. 
Yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, Angelo, so next big thing is it the Civil War Project? That's what we're going to... Uh, That's right. That's what I'm, I'm focusing on. I'm writing another script uh, right now, uh, and, and I've been saving this, been putting this in my back pocket because I actually anticipated that one day we would have a tax credit in, in Indiana, and um, this is a, 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 a one of my favorite stories that I've ever heard that took place in Indiana, and I'm writing that now while I wait for this other movie to set up. And it takes place in World War II at Camp Atterbury, which was the um, one of the biggest prisoner of war camps, Italian mm-hmm. and in German POW camps in the country, and um, and what that did to Southern Indiana wow. folks down there. So. Another uh, another great story with Indiana connections, to be sure. Angelo Pizzo, I tell you, it's been a real treat uh, to catch up with you. And uh, you've got some great stories and uh, your accomplishments uh, make Indiana proud. So thanks. Thanks for taking the time. We look forward to seeing your next your next big project. Thank you, Gary. Appreciate All right. it. And thank you for joining us on the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. It's a weekly conversation with achievers in business, sports, entertainment and beyond. And you can check out all of our episodes and get Indiana Business News 24-7. All you have to do is go to InsideIndianaBusiness.com. I'm Gary Dick. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.